when I came back from uh, my trip in Spain, I came back to ground zero. I sold my car that I drove for about eight years. I took all my money from Alan Gray. You know, all the things the world tells you not to do. And I kind of did that on purpose to, to, to be that 100% vulnerable. And I wanted to come back after my trip, almost like I, I kind of pressed the reset button on my existence. Hey guys, this is Devon from Weave Handmade Leather Ties. We specialize in handmade leather statements and we're on the Startup Circle with Steve Fortain. The podcast that gives you insight into the minds of South Africa's most innovative entrepreneurs and businesses. Just how tech can bow ties be? If you've ever had a conversation with me about the internet of things or tech or, or whatever the case is, you'll know that I'm really passionate about explaining how technology isn't a product. It's not something you can sell. Instead, technology is an enabler to your product. Weef, at the outset, appears to be a simple handmade leather ties, bow ties, and pocket square business. But these items in itself is not rocket science. There are millions of places in the world that you can go to buy them from. In an era where convenience is key, and it's definitely more convenient to simply purchase this apparel from a clothing store down the road, Weef has become a rapidly growing global business through leveraging technology. From their humble beginnings when they were snapped up by the likes of GQ and Top Billing in South Africa, to the fact that now these handmade leather items have taken founder Diovan Swanepoel to all corners of the world talking about his product. This is a true example of a simple physical product that has leveraged technology in order to grow a global brand. So without further ado, joining us in studio today, we are founder of Weef, Devan Swanepoel. Devan, welcome to the show. Hey, Steve. Thanks so much for having me, man. So Weef, j- just how big of a business is this? I think you said it so well from hum- humble beginnings. So I think from a headcount, it's basically myself down here in South Africa running operations. And then we have Patrick, my, my business partner uh, and co-founder in uh, Graz, Austria. And then we have one head machinist. And we have about two part-time employees at the moment. So, so that's quite a big team for, for such a simple product. Tell me about kind of where you started off. You, you do pocket squares, bow ties, and, and, and leather handmade items. Is that the extent of your product range or is there a bunch of other stuff that, that you do as well? It, it's quite funny. So what happened was I was in advertising before I started working for myself. And um, I was invited to the Lurie's and I wanted something, you know, obviously the Lurie's, you know, the guys dress up and... Um, I wanted a tie to complement my leather shoes and you know, my belt and everything. And then I, I couldn't find a leather tie locally. So I had one made and I wore it to the event. And I think that kind of sparked the whole idea of a leather tie. Because at the event, a lot of people asked me about where I got it. Um, a lot of people said, you know, their grandfathers had one, but they couldn't find one and all that um, type of stuff. So I just kind of the idea kind of stuck, uh, you know, stuck with me. And then I, um, I resigned from advertising in 2015 and i went to go do the camino in spain so the camino is a pilgrimage that you kind of walk you start in france and you kind of walk through you know the northern side of of spain uh, very primitive um and we walked for about 33 days just shy of a thousand kilometers and it's you in your backpack literally just like repetition and there's healing and repetition and i remember coming back from that trip as a whole um and just feeling super super inspired uh, and I remember then, obviously, coming back from that trip, I stopped off in Austria, met with Patrick, who's obviously now, you know, uh, my partner. And uh, we decided to to kind of explore this leather tie concept. 
So, so that's very interesting. I think uh, I just want to go back to right to something that you said in the beginning. You said you you're going to Lurie's. You wanted a leather tie. You you couldn't find one. Well, let's go into the to your thinking at that point. Why did you actively take the route to then go and actually pursue making a leather tie somewhere else? It's it's very interesting. You know, sometimes you get these ideas and they just stick. You wake up, they're kind of in the back of your head. You kind of chat to people, and it's almost a like confirmation. You know, I always kind of explain this beautiful journey, what Weave currently is, is the doors just started opening up. Um, the conversations I kind of had with people, everything just kind of went back to the idea. In the beginning, we outsourced. At the end of the day, we decided to take everything in-house, bought our own machines, got our own space. I personally went for sewing lessons to make the first product. I, I, I completely stand by the fact that if you can make it yourself, you can actually teach someone how to make it too. So I literally jumped into the deep and that's the only way, you know, you can get your hands dirty. I went for, for classes, started off with my mom's kind of domestic machines um, at home and kind of made some of the first prototypes. And once we kind of saw that we kind of onto something, that's when we started obviously um, going more industrial, leveling up and, and getting kind of a machinist to kind of help us out. You spoke about advertising and then the lorries and then Spain and then starting Weave very quickly. I mean, you almost summed it, into, summed it up into two very short sentences, but but I think there was there's definitely um, a longer period of, 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 of kind of the season of your, your life than, that, that came across it in, in the way you spoke about it. When I came back from uh, my trip in Spain, I came back to Ground Zero. I sold my car that I drove for about eight years. I took all my money from Alan Gray. You know, all the things the world tells you not to do. And I kind of did that on purpose to, to, to be that 100% vulnerable. And I wanted to come back after my trip almost like I, I kind of pressed the reset button on my existence because. I couldn't sit in a nine to five for another month. I was going crazy. It's, it's that inevitable feeling going, is this it? You know, it? Am I made for this? Because there's two ways. Either you are the man or you work for the man. And I just feel like I look at all these corporations and they were just like us, had an idea. But the difference is they actually tried to pursue it. And I think that's something that I went like, you know what, maybe that passion, maybe that perseverance is inside of me. I, I must just try and, and give it a go. Is it really that simple that at some point you're, you're, you're sitting in an advertising job, things are kind of getting to you. Maybe you don't like your boss. Maybe you don't like what you're doing. Maybe you're struggling to get out of bed in the morning. Isn't there a bigger jump to actually saying, well, to hell with all of this, I'm going to actually quit this job. I, I, I'm going to stop getting a regular income. I'm going to sell all of my stuff and I'm going to move overseas. Surely that's not an idea that you make in a second. It's definitely something I thought about. And, I, and I, I see myself as a very kind of open-minded person. And I remember being in these settings and my creativity was capped. Most of these big organizations have hierarchies. And if, you're not, if you don't like fit, fit their schedule, then you're out. And it's just a matter of time. And, and, you know, I think this beautiful corporate lie, so to call it, is, you know, here's the carrot and you can have this carrot um, if you work hard enough. Then five years go by, 10 years go by, and then all of a sudden you realize there was no carrot because you can't, you know, you, you already hit the ceiling five years ago. My biggest thing in life, my biggest fear in life is not recognizing um, your full potential. It's kind of missing out on untapped potential. And I knew that if other people can do it, I can, I can definitely at least give it a try. So suppose leaving for Spain, the idea of WEEF is in your head. You, you've kind of gotten some traction on an early product. You, you, you've created some stuff, you, you've made some ties, and then you pause it all to do the travel thing. Talk me through a, a little bit of your mindset at that point. I think, personally, I just wanted to change the energies. 
You know, I think like, you know, we're in this structure where, you know, you, you go to primary school, then you go to high school, then you go study something and then you have to work and then you have to have 2.5 kids and obviously hopefully get married before that and start the business and then mommy and daddy will be proud of you and all that type of stuff. I've seen that same cookie cutter procedure in, in, in older people's lives and it doesn't always work out. And I think the, the Camino trip for me was a personal kind of experience that I wanted to go do. I wanted to test myself and say, can I, can I actually take all the funds that I physically own as a you know, 25-year-old at that time and, and just, just go and be vulnerable and kind of come back and just kind of see you know, in what space I am in then. So the trip definitely, like I said, gave me that reset button, uh, I think, on my life personally. And also that, so, okay, so the Camino is obviously every single day you have to do like, call it between 25 to 35 kilometers to your next destination. So in, in theory, it's small little victories every single day. And then on the way back, after the Camino, I stopped off in Austria, met up with Patrick. And you must remember, I'm very vulnerable now. All my money is done. I don't have a job when I come back home. Um, you know, I'm 25. Most of my mates are buying houses, getting married. You know what I'm saying? Like the outside pressure, uh, which is also just like, you know, just a load of, I don't know, unnecessary pressure. But um, met up with, uh, with Patrick in Austria and then laid the cards on the table. Um, and then both of us went, listen, yeah, there is something here. I came with my feedback. He obviously did some research in Austria. He was like, there's something there. When I, you know, when he mentioned leather ties, when I mentioned leather, leather ties, people didn't know what to do with that because they didn't know about that. So we were like, okay, cool. This is something completely new. So let's at least try to give it a go. Came back to South Africa, um, end of 2015. Um, and I'll never forget this. On 24th of December, I get a phone call from Patrick going, dude, you'll never forget, uh, never um, believe this, but we just got a European investor for Weave. And within a month, we had the funds to buy a machine, uh, machines, get office space and start employing people. Do you think that Weave would have been built and it would have been what it is today if you hadn't left at the advertising space to do the Camino travel, to go via Austria and find your way back to, uh, back to SA? <laughs> Absolutely not. I think sometimes you have to take yourself out of what you know and go and find, because I, I want to go meet another Devon abroad. I came back with a perseverance that I never had. I came back with a, a burning desire to kind of invest in myself that I never had. I met mates abroad. I met the best group of people on that Camino that I've ever met in my life. And remember, every one of them that do the Camino is there in a very vulnerable space. Some people came out of relationships. Some people lost businesses, family members, everything. And I connected with these people from around the world in such an amazing way, sharing stories. And in a sense, all of us are so similar. Everyone's just looking for that thing. Why am I here? What is my purpose on earth? So it was definitely one of the best investments I think I have ever made in my life. So, so you've come back, you, you've, you picked up some sewing, you kind of fleshed the business out. Were you physically sewing the first product? Yeah. I, I remember sitting um, in my, um, my parents' kind of living room with the machines and I made about two or three of the, of the obviously we had blueprints that we kind of just drew up, myself and Patrick. Uh, he's a designer by trade. So he, um, he obviously did all the online and CAD drawings. And then I made up about three of the units myself. So teaching how the, the machines work, sewing and all that. So once I was done with that, I knew the dimensions we need to work on, the spaces we need to leave, the gaps and how we can actually make it. But even, even now, if I have to show you the, the, the products in the beginning to what we have now, it's worlds apart. Mm. We knew that we kind of had the tie down, but then we knew we had to kind of just up our game in the finishing. And that took an extra few months of just playing with patterns and kind of just seeing how you can make a leather tie. Because 
every leather tie, skinny tie, takes about an hour and a half to make from wow. scratch. Uh, so it's more like a love product. Also, all of our units are also signed and numbered by the craftsmen. You know, it's like they, they kind of put their time and life into, into each product. So you've just sewed the first few weave designs. They're literally hot off, off the sewing machine. I'm not even sure that's a saying, but it is now. What do you do then? Do, do you take those things straight to market? Do you somehow get back into the lurry circle and, and say to all of those guys that, that, that say to you, hey, they'd love a design like this, here it is? Or, or what do you do with that first initial batch of products that you've put your own blood, sweat, and tears into? So I think after I made you know, the, the two or three uh, samples, I personally knew it's doable because if I could do it you know, with minimal kind of training and just kind of like teaching myself online and all that, um, I knew that, that it's, it's, like I said, definitely doable. And then instead of going to market straight away, myself and Patrick decided to take the time and actually lay Weef's foundation solidly. And this is very, very important. This is a big lesson we also learned. Your advertising is your face to the rest of the world, especially on online advertising. How is the web- website going to look? What payment platforms are we going to use locally and internationally? Uh, how's the photography going to look? How's the brand form going to look? How's the packaging going to look? It took us months. So we had the products, we knew the dimensions, which means we could create the, the packaging, the boxing, all that type of stuff. So we kind of did it, did it in a way where, cool, the products are almost signed off. Now let's kind of go and build the brand, the golden thread. And that took us at least about six to eight months. So this is six to eight months of no income coming into the Absolutely. business. Absolutely. You are just returned back from, from Spain. I'm sure you're... You're feeling the brunt of spending a bit too too many euro over there. Uh, how do you sustain yourself for that period? I had obviously fuel expenses and medical aid at the time. So um, this is where you eat humble pie. And this is the type, this is the, the, the part of the journey that not a lot of people kind of want to talk about. I remember coming back and then in February, I got a part-time job to be a um, brand ambassador for BMW. So um, it was a week every month. And I was, my job basically entailed me to stand in shopping malls selling BMW products. So they would obviously park cars and we'd tell them about the model and the color and all that type of stuff. And they would kind of pay me for my time. And you must remember, like you're standing in a shopping mall, most of your mates are walking in there, you're getting to see them. Everyone's like, oh, cool, you know, you're selling cars now in a shopping mall, you know, and you kind of just go like, yeah, well, I'm busy with some stuff on the side. And, you know, obviously like a lot of judgments. And I think that is when people just go, you know what, screw this. I'm just going to go find another thing because they can't face that kind of judgment. And I was just like, I'm here for a reason. You know, this is teaching me, you know, kind of to put my head down and how, how badly do you want this? You know, are you willing to stand in a shopping mall for a week, you know, out of a month being humiliated in front of all your, all your mates, making, you know, lot, just enough money to pay my medical aid and fuel. Um, and I did that for about eight months. And then after that, I got another part-time job in also in another shopping mall, kind of doing game shows, like Clue Rooms, it was called actually. And um, it was still, so then by that time, we've started picking up. We've already launched. We launched the 27th of September, 2016. And obviously in the beginning, you know, it's literally just online marketing. Um, people obviously a little sale here, sale there, and then hopefully word of mouth and all that. So it kind of took time, you know, to get some traction. And then l- luckily the, the PR kind of kicked in and kind of helped us out. But I still had to make a living. Um, and that was kind of during that time where I kind of juggled both. And then within, say, a year, a year and a bit after the launch, um, we've started, you know, demanding more attention. And I, until today, like fully kind of invested into Weave. So let's go into mindset for a moment, because I think many people listening to the show will relate to the fact that when you spend time out of the country, 
it, it broadens your mind. You, you get to see things from a different point of view. You get inspired. You get motivated. You come back and, and, and just as you've said, you're motivated to, to, to do the right thing with your time. But, but then you go through this, this eight-month period of, of uh, being in shopping malls, being a BMW brand ambassador. Nothing better than to test your spirit and to try and break you down after coming off such a great uh, Spain trip and getting all these fresh insights. And, and how do you stay motivated in that time when I think lots of people find, they find purpose in their job? So you'd come from advertising. If you're going to the Lurie's, you probably had a great advertising job. I, I'm sure that you had parents and friends of your parents or, or whatever the case is who would say, well, Devon had this great advertising job. Then he went overseas and now he's back and now he's selling stuff in Canal Walk. After enough of that beating down in you, your sword starts losing a bit of its edge. And, and I'm sure you'd you'd see that impacting on, 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 on Weave. But, but how did you stay motivated in that time to not give in to the, and you titled it humiliation. I titled it maybe just doing something that you're not passionate about during that eight-month stint. One of the biggest things I did um, personally is I stopped drinking alcohol completely. So what happened with this is, okay, A, I came back and I didn't have money. So I couldn't go out and kind of, you know, socialize. Let's call it that. So by not socializing, I, I lost a lot of friends. Um, and also the, the core friends stayed and I learned a big lesson. The people that are there for you, that are inspiring you, are the people you need to spend your time with. Because it's nothing to go to a bar and every single pe- pe- you know, person, if you go out, oh, cool. So, you know, so what are you doing now? I kind of try to hide myself away from that negative energy. So I kind of went, okay, cool. I'm hanging around people that are A, either building their own you know, brands or companies, or people that have been doing it for a while. Um, and I kind of just decided to stay with those people. And one of the things that I'm, I'm going to mention it again, what, you know, which school and university doesn't teach you is perseverance. Again, how much do you want this? There was this burning flame in me, which I cannot explain in words, that just went, see it through. Just give it a go. You know, you can kind of see the rainbow. The pot of gold is there. Just, you just have to like walk another five kilometers. And even like when you get hit in the face by a, a branch, just keep going another five kilometers. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's difficult, but entrepreneurs kind of know what I'm talking about. It's just like, I have to, for my own sake, tick this off my personal list. And I think that's the one thing that kind of had me going. Also, um, just kind of, like I said, people in my life, different relationships that kind of, that I allowed in podcasts. Um, I lost, uh, read a lot of inspirational books, you know, kind of equipping and, and kind of sharpening my sword with, you know, people's biographies, listening to how they did it. Because the path of an entrepreneur is a very lonely path. People don't really know what you're seeing. So it's difficult for you to explain it to them. You just kind of go, well, you know, I'm, I'm busy with something in leather. Um, I'll show you once I launch, you know. So, um, and definitely family and friends. That said, there was a bunch of people that also looked at me and went, dude, you're 25 years old. Like, come on, man. What do you mean you want to start leather, like selling leather goods? Find a real job, like... You know, like, bro, I just bought a house, you know, I'm, I'm getting married, you know, and, and people that kind of went, you know, I, they don't think you've got it. And it's so ironic because those are the people that are contacting me now that, that go, hey, Devon, we would love to go for coffee with you and just kind of pick your brain about how, you know. So, so launch day, so, so you've got, you've got the site up, you, you've got your manufacturing capability built. I mean, it's, it's partly you guys involved in doing the sewing, but, but that works out. What does launch day look like? How long does the thing take to actually break even? And, and how long did you keep the BMW and, and game show job going? Never forget that morning. Um, 
woke up super early. It was uh, the 27th of September, 2016. Um, I remember going to the kitchen table. I put my Mac down and myself and Patrick had a few things we just had to kind of finalize before launch. Like there's so many moving parts in, in like pressing launch. It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, like we've tested our, our payment checkout like a thousand times internationally and locally. We, you know, we've chatted to a few influencers beforehand, you know, just to strategically work it out so that if you, you know, press launch, you make as much waves as you possibly can. Um, and, and, and today on social media platforms, I think family and friends help a lot with that and they give a lot of credibility. So I remember launching, we launched the brand. So what we did was about a week and a half prior, we launched little snippets of, of um, preview videos of what's to come, but we didn't tell them what it is. And um, on launch day, we launched and obviously, you know, we've handmade leather tires. We, the website was live. You could see the products. You could see the color range. You could read about us. The brand form was there making its rounds. And, and within a week, the video got almost 20,000 views. It was shared like almost two or 300 times. Um, and a lot of people were just commenting and, you know, this is great. This is so fresh. We haven't seen this before. This is great. And just the love and support from like the general community and also, you know, family and friends was absolutely overwhelming. That day we made our first sale. It was a good friend of mine, Armin Bernard. And he, yeah, it's actually uh, Christian Barnard's son that actually bought, uh, bought the first sale we ever made online. And it was so humbling because all of a sudden you're going, wait a minute, someone is actually buying into what we created. And that, that it's, I still today when, you know, when we make sales on, on, on Shopify, I still go, oh my goodness, like people, people get it. You know, they buy into it. They actually see what we're trying to do and create. Um, and then, and then, like I said uh, earlier, um, you know, as Weave was out there, um, I still had to kind of, you know, work part-time to make ends meet uh, until it kind of gets to a place where, you know, and, and as an entrepreneur, this is rule number one. Don't take the, the money and go buy a BMW, you know, the first paycheck. Invest back into the company. You need resources, you need material, you need to pay your ladies. You know, you need to kind of, you know, put that money back. And a lot of people don't do that. They see money like income and then they kind of put it in their pockets and you're bleeding your company dry. Um, so that's, that's the thing that both myself and Patrick have done. And to date, we haven't pulled a salary out of Weave yet. I remember meeting Mr. Musi Maimani. And giving him a weave tie. And he tweeted about it. And within a day, we almost got a hundred followers on like Facebook. You know what I'm saying? Um, And and just, you know, we we always say we kind of want to tie the knot with, you know, different celebrities. And, you know, people like Franchef and Coke and and all these kind of people that have kind of like reached out to us. And so I think it's also who you affiliate with that gives your brand a lot of credibility. Devon, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. What we like to do at the end is end off with with what I call a speed dating round. As as much as I'd hate to sit across the table from you at a real speed dating round, uh, we find that the getting to know the the entrepreneur behind the business has got some great value. So I've got a few few short and sharp questions for you. Tell me your thoughts. Inspiration. What gets you out of bed in the morning? I'm alive. I'm able. um, I've got ideas. Um... You know, I'm super privileged. I've got people that love me. Um, I've got, you know, I've got a support system. Um, the small things. I think it's the small things that people kind of oversee. You know, this sounds so cheesy. You hear, you hear about it so much. But uh, 
I just think like the fact that, you know, you're able, you know, it's so easy to complain and, oh, but I don't have this and I don't have that. Look at what's in your hand. What do you have? And be grateful for that um, first. And I, I try to kind of humble myself, you know, constantly to just go, you know what? No one owes you anything. And everything that has happened is basically just all blessing. What frustrates you? Um, I think incompetence. Uh, if systems don't work, if it's a constant struggle, um, and I think, um, yeah, I think like this discrimination. I think I think those things are things that just really get to me because I just feel like there's just no time for that. You know, like help each other. You know, if you don't know how to do something, learn learn how to do it. And also, like I'm, I'm preaching to myself, but you know, just learning patience as I'm going through life. Patience and time management, oh my goodness, those things are key. Globally and locally, one person who you admire in each. So globally, Casey Neistat, without a doubt. Locally, Trevor, Trevor Noah. Absolutely, those guys are next level. On, on the Startup Circle podcast series, we believe that uh, leaders are readers and readers are leaders. Last book you read? Very good friend of mine, his name's John Sinai, and the book's called What's Your Moonshot? You do have to check him out. This guy's next level. Final question, any blogs or podcasts that you religiously follow? Blogs, again, Casey Neistat, and then podcasts. Uh, there's a show from NPR called How I Built This by Guy Raz. That is absolutely a must. You must watch every single and listen to every single episode when, while you're in traffic. It is mind-blowing and super inspirational. Devin, it's been a pleasure. I hope the Startup Circle podcast now makes your list of podcasts. Thanks so much, man. So we're running an interesting competition that goes along with this podcast episode. Devon, tell us more about what we're giving away. The the idea is to for you, the listeners, to tell us, we've, uh, who, any local celebrity, local idol, um, influential person in South Africa that that you admire as a you know as a as an entrepreneur or um, a listener to this podcast. You put the challenge out to us, and you go, "Hey, we've, we would like you to tie the knot with." Example, Rian Kreivachen or Leon Schuster or any South African idol. And then if we get to tie the knot with them, you will win the hamper. And that's all the time we have for today. Some excellent inspirational words spoken by Diovan on how to get out of the cookie cutter lifestyle and actually get out, live your life, get inspired and, and, and create a brand that's absolutely amazing. And that's what we first today. 